0: Good evening. This evening uh, I was reminded of something that uh, I have uh, found a little bit humorous through the years. You know, if you have something that happens to you physically and you have to go to the emergency room, um, they have a a triage set up. Um, You'll be interviewed by probably a nurse and they'll determine how quickly you need to get in there depending on the seriousness of your injury. And that'll either, if you don't have a very uh, serious injury, you probably regret that's the way it works. But if you have a serious one, I'm sure you're pretty glad that it works that way. Well, there are priorities of issues in the church as well. And at the top of that list is what happens when the preacher's clock breaks? You see the clock is not working back there. That's the one that I look at. Those get fixed really quickly. Um, I would say by next Sunday, that'll be running. And uh, if you could, whoever fixes that, put a sign up underneath it that says, Remember Lot's Wife, you know, because you're <laughs> looking back at that clock. I would like that. I've always wanted to go to the church that had that little sign underneath the clock. But uh, anyway, tonight, let's uh, spend a little bit of time in Bible study. And if you have your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 23, and I want us to look at some lessons that we can learn from the other cross. Now, the prominent cross on that day in which Jesus was crucified, of course, is the cross of Christ, and that's the one we should focus on. It's the one of the utmost importance. And it's the one that has and gives meaning to life today. But um, it doesn't mean that there are no lessons to learn from the other crosses that were there with him. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus wouldn't die alone, that he would be hung between two thieves. And that is exactly what took place on that occasion. There were two men on either side of Jesus who hung there for different reasons than Jesus. Jesus died for the sins of men. One of the men on the cross died uh, to sin, and another man died in his sins. But those other two men who died on the cross, I'd like to look at at least the one who turned to Jesus, uh, to whom Jesus said, "'Today you'll be with me in paradise.'" And I want to see if there are some lessons that we can learn from the interaction that went on on the cross, what we're told about it. I suspect that a lot more interaction occurred than what we actually have recorded uh, due to um, a number of factors. But let's look at a few lessons that we can learn uh, from the other cross. And the first lesson is this. The thief had a change of heart. At least one of them did. If you have your Bible, you can look in Matthew chapter 24 and you see, or Matthew chapter 27, you can see that both thieves were railing on Jesus. Both of them, when they were initially hung on the cross, were given Jesus grief. And imagine how difficult that would be, to be in the throes of death. And the pain and the agony that you were going through, the humiliation that you were going through, Uh, The frustration of mankind to do what they had done, and they just weren't getting it. And then to, on top of all that, have someone saying, mocking, uh, challenging you to do something about the situation. Um, But as this thief was on the cross, he too was railing, both of them were railing on Jesus' but. When you come to Luke chapter 23, you see that one of them had a change of heart. In fact, he looked at one of the, the, the thieves and as he said, um, you know, if you're the son of God, do this and this. And And he said, do you not have any fear? Do you not have any respect? Do you not understand that we're here today because of our sins? This man has done nothing wrong. He has not sinned. And it was that change of heart that brought about his salvation. And just like that thief, in that respect, was saved on the cross, we too can be saved with the same kind of mindset and attitude. I hope, and I'm thankful, that God saw fit to save the thief on the cross. I'm thankful that Jesus was able to look at this man and see that he had really changed his mind and that that was sufficient and that God said, I forgive you. Um, he met God's terms of pardon. He was a son of Israel. He was a child of God already. And he turned from his sin and God forgave him. And if we're to be forgiven, we have to do the same thing. We've all made poor choices We've all done things to grieve Jesus. And I'm so thankful that we serve a God and serve a Savior that will forgive us. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, um, well, in Acts 2 and verse 38, if you want to look at those two passages sometime and see, the message is the same. It's just a, a same sermon, you know, preached twice. And in Acts 2.38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 3, he says, Repent and be converted, that your sins be blotted out, that there be seasons of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. But there's that phrase, repent and, and be converted, be changed. We have to change If we're to be saved, we cannot die in our sins. We cannot die in rebellion to God. We have to change. And that's one of the lessons I learned. And one of the great things I learned about it is that, you know, it may be the 11th hour before you wake up and change, but God will take you. I'm, you know, I know people that have made mistakes and they've made a waste of their life and their Embarrassed by the choices that they made and, and they regret the time they gave to sin. But when you get to that end and if something like staring death face to face wakes you up, that's a good thing. I don't begrudge the grace of God at all. I'm thankful that it works for those people. And here's a case where it did. We have to be changed if we want to be saved. Here's a second lesson that I learned from this other cross, and it's that Jesus was merciful and he was gracious. Look at verse 43. As Jesus says to this man, Assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. I wonder if we might have said something like, Are you kidding me? I mean, I remember, do you think I forgot what you said just a couple hours ago? I heard you when you were saying all these other things just like the guy over here. You think now that because you're facing death and, and you're, you're having some last minute regret, you think that I'm going to save you after what you said to me? That wasn't the mindset of Jesus. He reinforces to us a truth that, again, we should find comforting. Second Peter chapter two and verse nine says that, uh, or, or chapter three and verse nine says that The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. God wants us to be saved. He's not looking to condemn people. He's not waiting to catch you messing up and then he's going to just, you know, lay it to you. He... He wants you to be saved. And here's a man who had previously that that very day had given grief to Jesus, but he had changed his mind. And Jesus was good with that. And he was willing to say, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10 tells us that we're all unprofitable servants. After we've done all that we can do, we haven't earned anything. We depend upon the grace and the mercy of God to save us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 15 tells us that salvation is a gift. It's not earned. It's not merited. It's not deserved. It is a gift. And I, for one, am thankful, again, that I serve a Savior who will give that gift, who's willing to give that gift, and who desires, not just begrudgingly, but who really desires to give it. A third lesson that I learned from this other cross is that perfect knowledge is not essential to salvation. How do I learn that? Well, look at what this thief says to Jesus on the cross in Luke chapter 23 and verse 42. Then he said to Jesus, "Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom." What was he thinking of? Do you think he understood the kingdom to be uh, the church, uh, the expression of the kingdom after the death of Christ would be the church? Do you think that he understood that? I know that his disciples didn't understand it. His apostles didn't. In Acts chapter one and verse nine, the disciples who had been with him every day, you know, nearly for three years in training and uh, apprentice, uh, that being apprentices of Jesus. When Jesus comes back from the dead, they ask Him, Oh, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? They still didn't get it. Jesus is about to leave. He's about to ascend to heaven. And His disciples that He's been trying to train for this mission, they they still don't understand the nature of the kingdom. I wonder how much this thief understood the nature of the kingdom. I wonder if he thought that maybe the Lord would take him down off the cross and himself and death would not overtake them. I, I don't know. But I suspect that he wouldn't have had a better understanding than the apostles, and the apostles certainly didn't. I studied with a man. I went with, um, many of you know, Stephen Rogers. Um, I, I worked with Stephen uh, on one, one summer when I was in college and we went to visit a man and, and, um, have a Bible study with him. And as we went through that Bible study, boy, it became apparent really quickly that this guy knew his stuff. He, he had all the right answers. We didn't have to convince him of anything. He, he understood it and, and said, you know, uh, agreed with what we were trying to get him to do. And so at the end of the study, Stephen said, well, why don't you go Give your life to Jesus. Why don't you get baptized tonight? And he said, because there are things I still don't understand. And when I understand some other things, then then I will. And his mindset was completely wrong. You see, I think this is the way we should go about it. When you learn truth, you obey it. And when if I learn new truth tomorrow, then I obey it. And if I learn some more truth the next day, I obey it as well. But I shouldn't just hold it all up and store it all up and and start deciding to obey it at some particular given point when I think I've learned enough. This man, no doubt, didn't understand fully the kingdom of God. But he trusted in Jesus and he turned to him in repentance. And Jesus saved him. I'm just saying we don't have to get everything all figured out. You you don't have to understand what the book of Revelation is all about. You don't have to understand all the symbolism that you find in that book. You you may not understand until the day you die certain things about the Bible. Peter said that some of the things that Paul wrote were hard to understand. And and we, we don't just simply you know, take that and say, well, I can't obey because I don't understand that. There are things that you do understand, and we need to act on it. So that's another lesson I learned. I I don't have to have a perfect knowledge of everything in order for the Lord to save me, and I am so thankful for that, aren't you? Because there are things that I find difficult in Scripture, but I know what the Bible teaches about how to be saved, and so I obey that, And when I learn more truth, I obey it as well. All right, here's a fourth thing. There's a place for departed spirits when death overtakes us. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, Jesus says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, he wasn't talking about heaven. How do I know that? Well, do you remember in John, the book of John, when Jesus rose from the dead after three days... He arises from the dead, and Mary Magdalene sees him. And she throws her arms around his feet and doesn't want to let go. And do you remember what Jesus said to her? He said, let let loose of me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. There are still things I have to do. But he said, I have not ascended to my father yet. Well, wait. He 's been dead for three days. I thought when you die, you go to heaven where, where was Je- If Jesus had not yet ascended to the Father, where was he during that period of time? and he tells us in this verse, he was in paradise. He was in a place that is described as a paradise. Um, Luke chapter sixteen describes it as being comforted in abraham's bosom um, it's a place that we call Hades. Hades is is a realm of departed spirits, disembodied spirits, and it's a realm in which uh, both the good and the bad go, and the bad can't come to the good and the good can't come to the bad. Luke 16 says there's a great gulf that is fixed between them and, and they can't pass back and forth. And we read from Luke chapter 16 that it, it, on the side of paradise, there's comfort and there's rest and there's peace. But on the other side, it's a prelude to an eternity of separation from God. Um, he was tormented in flames, the rich man was. But to this thief on the cross, he said, Today. You'll be with me in paradise. There's a place that the parted spirits go. And, and again, I find comfort. In, aren't you glad to know that those who die just, they're not in the ground. They're not in some cold crypt. They're being taken care of, those who are in Jesus. They're being taken care of by God. And they await a final resurrection where they can enter heaven proper. And spend throughout all eternity with God and the saints that have gone before them. I don't know what we'll be doing all that time. I remember a preacher on television. I could call his name and you would know who I was talking about if I called his name. But he said, you know, I for one want to go on record this morning. I heard him preaching on a Sunday morning. He said, I for one want to go on record this morning and tell you I don't want to go to heaven. He said, I can't think of a more boring place in this universe than to go to heaven. I mean, what are you going to do for eternity? Just kind of float around on a cloud and strum on a harp and, and sing some songs? Are you kidding me? He said, that would bore me to tears. What I look forward to is going to the Bahamas one weekend and going to the Swiss Alps the next weekend and taking a cruise. He thought that we would just stay here on this earth forever and ever. I don't know what heaven will be like. I don't know how we'll, if you'll accommodate my language here, spend our time there. But I trust that it will be good. I believe that God has kept his word and he'll keep his promises. And when he describes it as a place where we want to be, I trust that. I don't understand it. I don't know what we're going to do, but I know that it'll be good and it'll be infinitely better than the alternative. But this passage tells me that there is this realm of the dead that will await the resurrection and the return of Jesus And then the last point for tonight that I learned from this is a point about the thief and baptism. How many times have you heard people, and I'm sure the thief, if he only knew that his salvation would be used as an excuse to bypass the Word of God, I think that he would be deeply saddened by that. This is a man who turned to Jesus and Jesus forgave him and he's now saved. And, and he's not aware of how he has been misused in, in human history. But listen, the thief on the cross, how many of you have heard, yeah, but he wasn't baptized. And he was saved. So why do I have to be baptized to be saved today? Well, let's just think about that for a second. And you might want to start from, uh, Luke chapter 5 and verse 24. That passage tells the story about the man who was brought to Jesus and there was such a crowd that they couldn't get him to Jesus. He was lame. And so they went up on the roof and they tore a hole in the roof and they lowered him down to Jesus. And Jesus saw the faith of those men who brought him and Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. You're forgiven. Um, forgiven? The Pharisees heard him say that and say, Who does he think he is? He can't forgive sins. God alone forgives sins. Who does this man think he is? And Jesus, knowing what they were saying, said, Listen, so that you will know that I have the power on earth to forgive sins, I am going to tell this man to also stand up and walk. That they could see. They couldn't see forgiveness of sins, but we both know this. For a man to tell a lame man to get up and walk and have him walk, that's the activity of God. That's the activity of deity. And if he can do that, then why can't he do the other? And so he uses that. But that phrase, so that you will know that the Son of Man has power while on earth to forgive sins. Jesus could look at anyone and see their heart and say, I forgive you. It was his right. It was his prerogative. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 16 that a a will, a testament goes into force with the death of the testator. Now, think about this. While you're alive, you can do whatever you want with your possessions. I I can take, uh, you know, things that I, that belong to me and I can give them away to people other than my children. Because I have that right. It's mine. And I can give what is mine to whomever I wish. But when I die, my goods have to be distributed according to the terms of my will. Not just anybody can come in and say, oh, I want that and and take it. Everything has to then be according to the will. Well, that's what is taking place here. While Jesus was alive, he could dispense his goods, however, and to whomever he wished. He could look at a man and say, you know what? I see your faith. I see your heart. You've changed. You've repented. You've turned to me. I forgive you. And he could forgive them. But after Jesus dies, how are his goods to be dispensed? According to the terms of his will. And his will said, now repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. While Jesus was alive, he had power on earth to forgive sins. He could just go around and tell people, whoever he wanted, you're forgiven. But when he died, then it's, Distributed by the terms of his will, the terms of his covenant. And that covenant today tells us to repent and be baptized. The thief on the cross wasn't baptized, you might say, or at least with the Great Commission baptism. For the same reason Abraham and Moses and Adam and everybody else weren't. They weren't commanded to be. That was new covenant legislation. they lived prior to that and so did the thief. So the thief doesn't give us a loophole to get around the commands of God. And like I said, I think that thief if he knew how his salvation used today to excuse people from disobeying God, I think he'd be grieved at that. We are saved in a sense like the thief on the cross. He turned from his sins, and he turned to Jesus, and Jesus saved him. We're saved in that same way. We have to turn from our sins and turn to a Savior, and that Savior says, meet these terms of pardon that I left in my will, and you'll be saved. So the question for you tonight is, have you done that? God saves today and wants you to be saved as much as He does the thief on the cross. You think you've done some terrible things and you're unworthy? Well, you are unworthy. And maybe you have done terrible things. But have you done worse than the thief? Um, He turned to Jesus and was forgiven. And God will forgive you too. If you need to respond to the invitation tonight, meet His terms of pardon. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's his will. And if you want to be saved today, you won't do anything but what he told you to do there. That's how his goods, his forgiveness is distributed today. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you need the prayers of your brethren, we'll pray with you as well if you'll come as we stand together and sing.